When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. Hello and welcome to Garibaldi Red, the Nottingham Forest podcast on Nottinghamshire Live. My name is Matt Davis, hosting as usual. And as it's an international break, we're, as usual, joined by a former Reds player or manager. And this week, delighted to be joined by one of the Miracle Men and the League Champions European Cup winners in Colin Barrett. Colin, hello, are you well? Yeah, fine, Matt. You? Uh, yeah, good. Not too bad, thanks. Not too bad. Um, you were away last week. Did you have a nice holiday? Yeah, well, we just went up to the northeast to see my daughter up there for a few days and uh, cut a hedge for her, as fathers do, sort of thing, and then uh, came back home. So I was only away a couple of days. What are you up to these days? Obviously, you were a painter and decorator. Are you still doing that, or have you hung all that no, up and no, you retired? I retired some years ago, Matt. I was on a job up at Gable End once and I thought, what am I doing up this Gable End when the wind was howling in a gale? And I thought, no, nah, I'm getting down off the ladder now. And that was it. Hung, hung the paintbrushes up, as they say. Uh, I think you're still in and around Nottingham, aren't you? I mean, do people still, I guess people recognise you more these days after I believe in miracles than maybe they did 10 years ago. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm sure that really, that really did help. Uh, uh, keep it going, if you know what I mean. Uh, keep the fame going. And so, yeah, uh, get stopped every now and again. Said it was a good film, brilliant film. So, uh, yeah, it really has helped uh, me personally, anyway. Um, you're a native of the Northwest more than the East Midlands. What was your kind of journey into football? Obviously, Forrest signed you from Man City. Did you come through the youth system there or stumble into it a different way? Well, it's slightly, slightly different, Matt. Um, my father wanted me to have a trade. So he said, there's no way um, you're going to be playing football. Um, I want you to have a trade. And at 15, I went to work for Hawker Siddeley Aviation in um, in Woodford there. And um, and I became an aircraft fitter or aircraft, aircraft engineer is the co- correct term. Uh, I had a five-year apprenticeship. And after two or three years, um, I'm playing local football, playing youth level at local football. And also senior level at local football. Uh, Man City came in and um, they said they wanted to sign me. So me and my dad went to see Joe Mercer, the manager at Man City. And he said, we want to see, sign your lad. So my dad said, uh, how much are you going to pay him? So they told me and he said, OK. And my dad said, sign. I said, are you sure, dad? He said, yeah. He said, yeah, sign. He said, uh, if somebody's daft enough to pay you four weeks wages for one week's work, I advise you to sign. He said, but then after I walked out of the office, he said, on your own head, be it now, because you know my views. I want you to have a trade. You've wasted two and a half years in this apprenticeship, um, but it's your own on your own now, um, and don't come crying to me if things go wrong. Luckily for me, they all went right, so um, as history has proven, so happy I made that, re- that decision. What point did your dad say he'd made the right decision then? Did you have to be in the Man City first well, he never, team? He, ne- he never admitted that you know, it was the right decision. You know, Because um, uh, 
you know, he, he followed me, don't get me wrong, but he, he, his belief was that football was a short life and that by having a trade, you would have a job, if you like, for longer than football would give you. Um, admittedly, you know, the football, the money-wise, wasn't that vastly different, um, you know, way out of proportion to the average man. So in terms of a footballing lifespan, um, you know, put it this way, when I finished at 29, I still had my mortgages, I still had debts to pay, I still had bills to pay. Um, so, you know, I got rid of my mortgage about 10 years ago. So I was still paying a mortgage. So the, the money that we were on, if that's all you're interested in, um, was, you know, wasn't great in terms of um, being secure for the rest of your life. Um, but as a, you know, I always wanted to be a footballer and, and I found out that I, it was the right decision. And I always said to, me, said to anybody I asked at the time, and even my dad, I said, when I finish, Dad, I'll worry about that then. I didn't want it to finish as early as it did, but, um, you know, I finished then. Were you one of the best kids on the park growing up then, or were you someone who had to work hard to get where you, you know, everyone works hard, but you well, know it, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I do. I, I could, I tell myself that there were better players than me around with the, with the kids at school. Um, well, I tell the story that, I went to a, um, a trial for Stockport boys, Stockport school boys. And they asked six of the lads from my school to go to this trial. And we all agreed that we would meet up um, outside a pub where I was brought up, uh, Farmer's Arms in Cheadle Heath in Stockport, where I was brought up. And uh, we all said we'd meet there, get on the bus. Because in those days, your mum and dad didn't go with you. No cars, you know, to drive you to a trial match. You had to get there on your own. And at the bus stop, I was the only one there. So I had a decision to make. Do I get on the bus and go to the trial? Or do I go home and just say, nah, none of my mates were there. And so I didn't go. So I jumped on the bus and I made support schoolboys. But I know for a fact there were far better players than me playing on the, in the school. Hmm. When you get to Man City then, I think... He was kind of starstruck in a way. They're a massive club then with you know, really famous names. What was it like trying to kind of blend into that dressing room never mind getting to the team well it was, there, was, there was two dressing rooms there was the reserve dressing room and the youth team dressing room and then there was obviously the first team dressing room um, so yeah I was in the reserve team dressing room first day training basically it was an hour long and I thought hour two hours maximum um, and then my day was done and I found it more difficult to go home then with the rest of the day with nothing to do basically um, but in terms of being there with all those stars, we all mingled in together through training. And then, you know, you have football matches between each other and all sorts of things. And then you, you move on, if you know what I mean. You move up the system. And then eventually you get, you know, you, you change dressing rooms. When you change dressing rooms, you know you've got a chance. Um, and luckily for me, I changed dressing rooms um, maybe a year after I signed. Um, so I signed at 17, you know, 17 stroke 18. So, um, you know, I didn't go through the apprentice scenario at City. Um, so I was in, <clears throat> went into the first team dressing room and then you just felt part of it. Although you were only the youngster, you, you didn't have the experience of everybody else. So you, you, you were pretty quiet to start off with. So you're in that first team dressing room. 
Uh, how would you sum up your time at City? I mean, do you, you, from what I've read, you, you were never quite a regular, but you were always in and around the squad. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. I mean, um, I got into the side and thought everything was hunky-dory. I thought I'd be in for, forever. But obviously, form dictates that. And our injury, form or injury. Um, and we obviously formed it. And I went in and out of the side. New managers came. I mean, we had a lot of managers at Man City, never mind what they have at Forest, but we had a lot of managers then. Um, John Mercer was the first manager and Malcolm Allison was his assistant. Then Malcolm became manager. And then from then on, it was Tony, Tony Bork, Johnny Hart, various other people came in, Ron Saunders. And then in the end, I was in and out of the side. Um, so basically, I was in the reserves um, and I asked... It got to a stage where I said, oh, I've got to have a transfer, I've got to move for me to progress in football or to me have a first-team um, career, I need to move. So I knocked on the manager's door, I said, I want to transfer. And he said, OK, put it in writing. So I put it in writing, it was accepted. And then from then on, it was um, a case of, you know, moving on, if you know what I mean. Mm. So Forrest come calling... Um... You say you played for Malcolm Allison, who sounds like a big character, but obviously you go and you speak to Brian Clough in 1976. Forest is still a second division club at that point. Um, what was that? I, I said to you before we recorded, I always ask players what that first meeting was with Clough. I mean, I, I assume you remember it because everyone seems yeah, yeah. to. What, yeah, what's your recollection of meeting him? Yeah, I've, I've told the story loads of times. I mean, it's, Tony Buck rang me up and said, um, we've got Brian Clough, on the phone, he wants to, to sign you. I said, um, oh, take you on loan. I said to Tony, I said, look, Tony, I don't want to go on loan because with loan situations, you go on loan and then you go on loan for a month and then you went back to your, your parent club and then they'd say, no, we're not signing him. So I wanted a permanent move. Um, so he said, okay, I'll tell Cluffy that. So I said, okay. The next phone call was Brian Clough on the phone to me. And he said, I hear you don't want to sign for me, boy. And I said, no, I don't, not that I don't want to sign for you, Mr. Clough. I said, it's, it's because I want a permanent move and you're just offering me um, uh, you know, a, a loan. And he said, well, put it this way. He said, uh, you don't know me, I don't know you. Um, let's meet up somewhere and we can decide where we go from there. So I was living at Stockport at the time. Uh, he was living in Derby. Um, he said, where do you know? I said, well, OK, the only place I know is Leek. Um, he said, right, meet me outside League Town Football Club in an hour. So I jumped in my car, got to League Town Football Club, and that's when um, we had a discussion about my future, if you like. Um, and he just said, basically, you know, we, we got out of my car, went into his car, and then we just went down the road to a pub, had a, a lunch, pub lunch, and basically said, well, you're playing in Man City's reserves. You've got a place in my first team waiting. Um, come along, see how you feel. After four weeks, I'll know whether I want to sign you or not. Um, and you'll, you'll know whether you want to stay or not. Um, and it's better playing in my first team than Man City's reserves. So that's what happened. I said, right, OK, I'll tell Man City that you, you agreed to come. I'll see you at the city ground this Saturday, um, 12 o'clock. So uh, I met at the city ground and I think my first game was Fulham that day. And the rest is history, as they say. Does he have that um, aura about him 
back then when you're meeting? Because he won the league with Derby, obviously he hadn't done so much with Forest. Was he the same person that he would go I on think, to become and this kind of folklore around him? Yeah, I think Brian Clough would never change, no matter what it was. You know, whether he's you know, player, manager, coach, whatever he's been through. His attitude to life, his don't think, has ever changed. I don't think, you know, as an individual. Um, I just think he had something about him. No a matter of fact, no nonsense. And and then as you you get to know him, it was definitely no nonsense. Um, he said it how it was. You either liked it or you didn't like it. If you didn't like it, tough. You just got on with it. If you liked it, then you just again you just got on with it. Um, and it was straightforward. You know, he wanted his everything. Not massively. He said every time I open my mouth, I'm coaching. So when everybody said to get him on the coaching field and does things to players, yes, that does help. But uh, when it's put in your own backyard and you've got to look after yourself very forthrightly um, and you, you learn pretty quick that it's down to you in the end. Uh, you, When you come from Man City, is there a big, like, huge difference between the dressing rooms in terms of culture and all? I mean, Clough seemed to inherit a team with talent, but kind of wayward young lads. So what was it like when you walked into Forest compared to Man City? Well, the, diff- the difference was all dressing rooms are the same. There was, you know, the jokers in there, the more serious ones, the people who probably didn't like each other. So the, the mix was the same in any dressing room. You just had to fit in as best you can. Um, and, you know, there were those that moaned every every minute of the day and like, like there are in most uh, walks of life. Um, so the dressing room, I never found a problem with, you know. Um, whether you called the players in Man City's dressing room better than the players in Nottingham Forest's dressing room, well, you've got to see where they were at the time. You know, Man City were in the first division and Forest were in the second division. Um, and that was that would be the only issue. Um, those are the lads at Forest thought they were good enough to play in the first division. Um, and I'm sure in, in the Man City dressing room, there were, there were players who weren't in the first team who thought they were good enough to play. Um, but they weren't, you know, or we weren't um, called upon. And then you had to find your own way. And then obviously people move on from club to club. Um, and that's how it happened, really. Um, and I, 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 I wouldn't swap it for the world, to be honest. Where are you fitting in? Are you the joker or the moaner or somewhere in the middle? I'm, I'm, well, I said it how it was, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I had a few battles with, I had three battles with the management. Um, I can't, I can't tell you what he, he called me, but, um, but you know, I'll give it as good as I got, really. Um, and I could joke well as well. So I was, I was quite happy with where I was in the, in the dressing room. What about the other players then? Because obviously John Robertson goes on to be, you know, the club's best ever player and he's playing in front of you. Do you see immediately this guy's got it or do you think he's the fat Scottish lad? Well, well when I first went there, they, there was a lad called Terry Curran played. And mm. they they pinned their hopes that Terry Curran would be, um, you know, the star to get him out. And John Robert Robertson was on the other side of the flank and everything went through Terry. Everything went down Terry's side. Um, and then Terry got injured and then obviously it changed over. You know, our asset was the fact that we had another fellow over the other side who could play, um, who could give us something extremely different, a bit not as dynamic as Terry could, but certainly we, you would get 
more results because Robo could actually play all sorts of all sorts of ways. And he, um, you know, he may not have been the best tackler in in the world, but he certainly put his foot in when it needed to be done. Um, but he was certainly, um, you know, you know, when he when it when it was called upon for him to be the main main man, he he stood up to the plate. So you have this month on loan. Was it? Kind of straightforward signing then? Was it an easy decision? Did the manager really haggle over oh, everything? No, no, that was Cuffy at his best then. He said, well, um, the month's over. Uh, I've got to keep you for three months. And I said, no, you promised me you'd make a decision. He said, well, I'll sign you at the end of the season. So bottom line was, I stayed to the end of the season. And then after the three-month period, which was the end of the season by that time, I said, yeah, we'll sign. He said, but I'm not paying the, um, <clears throat> the 30,000 Man City one. He said, I'm only going to pay 29. So, um, you know, he, he went back. And then I said to him that um, because I'd asked for a transfer, um, in those days you got um, 10% of your transfer fee, you know. And and he said, uh, and if you think 10%, when I say 10%, 5% went to the Benevolent Fund, the league, and you got 5% in your wages. Um, and I said, and if you ask for a transfer, you don't get that. Um, he said, all right, just tell him you want to come off the transfer list. So I went back and said to um, Man City, I want to come off the transfer list. And then obviously Forrest signed me, so I managed to get me, me 10%, which was, um, what was it? I don't know, one and a half grand, but it spread over four years. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, interesting. So which season are we at the end of now? Is this the season where you've just got promoted or the season before you get No, promoted? season before. The season before, it came in the March, um, the season before. Um, and then we, you know, from then on, it, the first season, when well, when everybody, when they all kicked off, really. And we got out mm. the, the division by the skin of our teeth. Um, and that was, yeah, so that was that season, yeah. So, like you say, you got out of the skin of your teeth. I think, was it like Millwall lost on the final day or something to, for you to go up? I mean, Well, it was, it was Bolton, Bolton and Wolves. Bolton, it was a game of Bolton. I think Bolton were playing Wolves. It had already been promoted Wolves. Um, and if Bolton got a result, we couldn't do anything about it. And Bolton lost. Um, mm. And we went up on goal difference, I think. Um, so, you know, crazy times, actually crazy times. And then, obviously, the first season in, you go and win the league, first time out. Um, quite interestingly, you know, another side of the story, we never got a penny for winning the league. <laughs> I don't think modern players would put up with that, but um, just the way it was. No, we never even thought we'd get anywhere near the league. Um, but to go and win it and and then have no financial reward for winning it, I think the club were quite happy about that. But uh, we as individuals, you know, we lost out. How, how did you win the league? Obviously, you know, Leicester have done it from nowhere, but this I always think the Forest one was better because you newly promoted. But how did it all happen? Well, I think everybody, like... When you start off, I think in a lot of divisions, they take your, you don't take it, you know, seriously enough. And we started off and we won a few games and then we won a few more games and we carried on and we carried on and we did well in the League Cup. And that season up to Christmas was some of the best football I played in. And we were holding our own, top of the league or maybe second, but all of a sudden we get to the top. And basically, it was it was after we played Manchester United away, and and we beat Man United at Old Trafford, and it was famously Bob 
Bob Wilson's who was doing match of the day and you know football focus or whatever it's called then had uh, said well this is Clough, this is uh, Cluffies and Forest Waterloo they'll get thrashed by Man United and and that'll be them finished but we beat Man United 4-1 or 4-0 um, and that's when we as individuals thought hey, we've got something here and and then from then on you know from Christmas time till the end of the season we battled like hell the football wasn't as fluent but we we, we fought like hell for everything we got and our football wasn't classic by any stretch of the imagination. When people say that it was, it was fantastic to watch, we were battered by set teams, but we managed to come through it. We managed to survive it and get results somehow. And uh, we went on to win the league and win the league by quite a few points, really. Um, so, yeah, um, it all fell into place. Um, 16 lads, I don't think we have any more than 16 played um, through that season. And um, we all played different positions. Um, so it was... We really hung in there, and it was you know all of a sudden we're league champions, and then we get we get into Europe, and then that, that's another stage of the, your career you go through. Is this the first time it's really fallen into place for you then? Because you played forty games that season. Had you had many seasons before that where you were really one of the main men or not? Uh, no, not really, because, you, you know, I say at Man City, I played, I don't know, in, in one season, you play 15 games on the bounce and then you're out of the side for a bit or you get injured and then you come back in the side, so you're in and out. So I think if you play, if you play 30 odd games, you know, 35 games, you probably, you think to yourself, well, you're a, you're a regular. If you're playing 20 games a season, then you sort of, well, I'm, I'm not a regular, but I'm there or thereabouts when I need to, and I need to be called on. Um, so when, from myself, from a self point of view, yeah, that was the, the longest period I had in first team football. Was that that season at um, when we won the league? Mm. And it's a different game now, isn't it? Like if you're a fringe player, say you're the number two left back for well Man City or whoever, you're going to play thirty games anyway, aren't you? So, what was it? It must have been a challenge. Or if you're one of that four, five, six guys who's always on the fringes, well, that must have been tough early in your career, mustn't it? Well, but the bottom line was, yeah, it was. But you, you have to make a decision. You, you're involved in a football club, and nobody else came in for me at the time. I mean, I'm sure that if a club would have came in for me while I was at Nottingham Forest, maybe they would have sold me. Um, but they didn't come. And then you just deal with it. And while I was in and out of the side, or while I was on the fringe, you know, you, you, you're reasonably happy. You know, yes, you want to be playing every single week, but you know you got a chance. Um, so there was no, no. No, no, no issue that I would ask for a transfer and the position that Forest were in they were in so many competitions at the time as well that you knew you were going to get a game somewhere along the line and as football as a habit of you know you think you're finished and then all of a sudden you, you're not you know what I mean um, so that, taking all that into account uh, it, there was never ever an issue that I was ever going to leave Forest hmm hmm does life change overnight for you when you win the league then in terms of, you know, Nottingham must be absolutely buzzing at that point. Oh, you... Well, the whole, well, it's like, it's, it's, there's, a, there's a saying in football, um, if you win football matches, it keeps everybody quiet for seven days. Um, and that's what obviously happened every day, every week. And it made, I'm sure the, the people in Nottingham, uh, those that supported Forest um, anyway, um, when they went into work on Monday morning, I'm sure that they had a skip in the step, 
maybe the producti productivity of some of these industries increased. Um, they had a smile on their face and then they turn up on Saturday afternoon knowing their football team were going to get a result. And so, and the football that they were playing at the time, as I say, was, uh, was pretty good. And it was okay. I'm winning, winning high to a multitude of sins and we, we won quite a lot. <laughs> what about when you do win the league at Coventry? I remember speaking to Gary Mills on here and when you won in 1980 in um, Madrid, the celebrations were kind of like muted afterwards and you, you know, you come back. I mean, what's Brian Clough, how does he let you celebrate that win against Co that point at Coventry to win the league? Well, we only needed a point. We had five games, we had five games remaining and we needed a point. And obviously, you know, for us, Coventry were up first and we managed to get that point. You know, we were back to the wall in that game. Um, and Schiltz had one of those games where you could have played till the cows come home and you're not being Peter Shilton that day. Um, so we got the point. So luckily we had four games to go and and uh, we could enjoy those four games. Um, going back on the bus was good from what I can remember. Um, getting back into Nottingham, I think, was good. I think we went out for a drink. I can't remember all the, the ins and outs of it all. Um, but yeah, it was. But we had four games left and it was quite ironic, really, that in again at because of those four games left, that uh, Frank Clark, my big mate Frank, he gets his only league goal against Ipswich Town, and he and he came on a sub and played centre forward. So you know he, that box was ticked for him. So everything fell into place in in a wonder league, and then it was good. It was really really good that time. And I say, and then you find yourself in the European Cup, and, and you know first time up, we think we're going to play here, there, and everywhere, and we end up playing Liverpool. So that was a bit of a downer, but um, the other side of the coin is we got through that one. And then if you get through that one, you knew that you had a great, great chance of progressing. Yes, we must talk about Liverpool. Obviously, that's your most you know, famous moment in the, in the shirt. Um, you got on well with Frank Clark then, do you? Obviously, you're rivals for, his position, yeah. for the same position. Yeah, well, it, it, there, was, there was never... I never thought I'd ever take Frank's place. Don't get me wrong. You know, it, it was the, the situation. Frank got himself injured on that in the, the championship winning league year, and, and I jumped in at left back. Um, and luckily for me, you know, I kept Frank out for a while, and then I became the regular, if you like. Um, and then when somebody got injured, I would move across. Say Viv, Viv got injured, I would move across the right back, and then Frank would come in. Say one of the centre halves got injured. You know, I play at centre half occasionally, um, and then Frank would come in. So Frank had a, you know, that season had a fair few games. You know, more than a. So he was like going back he, the fringe player, but he was he got. I think he may have got 12, 20 games in something like that that season, um, as well. So you know, we all mixed in together. But when then when anybody got injured on the back line, it was always me that moved. Not nobody came in. It was you know Frank didn't go and play right back. You know, it was, you know I was the one that. Played and Frank came in and played left back, mm -hmm. um, or you know I went to centre half and Frank would come in then. So, so they never they never messed around too much. Uh, you mentioned Shilton there. Obviously, he makes such a difference as such a high quality player. What's he like in the dressing room? Because these days it seems like you've got a tight knit bunch of you know miracle men, and he doesn't seem to be quite as involved day to day. Was he a bit distant back then or not? Well, Schultz was, bottom line, Schultz was Schultz. He, he came in and, and he went out just as quick as he came in. Um, 
eventually, you know, he, he moved into the area and then he became more involved in one or two of the things. But more, more often than not, Peter kept himself to himself. But he, um, he, he joined him when we had the, the big do's. Um, but yeah, he was, I suppose you could say he was a little bit distant, but, but not enough to cause any problems. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned Liverpool, that draw, and you think, oh, you know, we're going out, what a nightmare. And then you beat Liverpool 2 0 in the, the first leg in mm-hmm. September. 78 uh, that Liverpool team's just like ridiculous I looked at it the other day everyone's a household name and a club legend and then you go and get the second goal yourself with like three minutes to go I suppose you'll probably you'll dine out on this till the day you're no longer with us but just tell us about it again well it, obviously we, we drew Liverpool and then obviously this, we have to bring, get over this massive hurdle first off um, Gary gets the first goal um, which settles us down and it was back to the wall we had a few chances ourselves after that and then as the game goes on you know we're getting closer to the end and you know I was brought up on football you know you follow the ball as much and you help out as much as you can and you know I, we had an opportunity and I went forward possibly shouldn't have done in the last couple of minutes of a football match but I didn't care basically because and momentum was with me. Um, and Burles crosses it, Woodcock nods it down, and I smack it in the back of the net, and the rest is history. Um, and going up to Anfield, you're better with 2 0 than 1 0. Um, but the lads did brilliantly at uh, Anfield and got the result that was needed. 0 um, 0. It was fantastic. Um, but I, I was in hospital bed then, so that was the start of the end of my career. Um, yeah, but- yeah. I mean, we'll talk, talk about that, obviously. Um- do you still see that goal crystal clear in your mind's eye today then? Or is it, is it all oh, a bit yeah. of a blur? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've got a picture on my wall here. So <laughs> that reminds me every morning when I'm having breakfast. Um, <laughs> basically, it's in black and white, but it'll do. It'll do. What, what did the gaffer and the other lads say to you then, if you're not really meant to be up there scoring that goal? Well, look, apparently the story goes, Martin O'Neill tells a story in the dugout that Cluffy's going mad. He's going absolutely mad. He said, where's he going? What's he doing? And he's screaming at me to get back, to get back. And Peter Taylor's screaming, get back, you idiot, idiot, or words to that effect. And then all of a sudden I put it in the back of the net and both of them stood up, what a great goal. That, you know, <laughs> so, you know, luckily for me, if I hadn't put it in the back of the net, I definitely would have been fined because I remember Kenny Burns getting fined for making a bad pass. So he got fined 25 quid for making a bad pass. God knows where I'd have been fined if I, you know, Liverpool had gone down and scored if I, while I was up the park. So uh, I probably wouldn't have played again for Forest, I have to say. So not long after that, like literally days after that, as you say, you have this terrible uh, knee injury that probably ultimately leads to the end of your career. When it happens back then, obviously different medical technology, do you know at the time that that it's probably it for you or do you think actually I'll just be a few weeks here? Well... the bottom line, when, I, when, it first, when I first got tackled, John Mahoney came across me. Um, I get, he was playing for Middlesbrough at the time and he came across me knee. And I, I just went down. I thought, there's something wrong here. Um, and I couldn't get up. And then under Cluffy's rules, he doesn't like anybody injured. So I tried to get up and I tried to walk. And then I thought, oh, I'm OK, I'll run this off. And then somebody played me a ball. And I went from my right foot to my left foot and I fell over. So I, I knew something was drastically wrong then. And then I got carried off and then I was put in the hospital that night. Um, 
and then they operated on maybe the Tuesday, Wednesday of the following following week, and then I was six weeks in plastic. They told me what I'd done. They said you've done your medial ligaments and you they're all shattered, they're all snapped and that. So they stitched them together and after six weeks I came out of that and then the long rehabilitation took. Um and then in the meantime, I played a few games, but the knee kept giving way. Um, and then in the end, it was just a case of um, you wanted to carry on playing, um, but the knee, the knee was unstable. Um, so we just uh, carried on until um, till somebody said, no, you can't play anymore. Um, but nobody ever said that to me, you know. Um, but I carried on, went and moved out of Forest, went to Swindon for a year. Um, and then the knee get, kept giving way and then they said no we're letting you go and then it was a case of nobody wanted me um, so I just basically retired then really Are you in and around the European Cup stuff then? You're still at Forest I mean, yes. I mean, Are you I able to feel part of it at all? Well I, I played even though my knee had gone I played in the, the semi-finals against Cologne I played hmm. in the Grasshoppers away tie um, it was after the after the um, the first leg of Cologne that um, I played in Manchester I think it was Manchester United and my, my knee went again and uh, just before then and that's when I went to hospital again and um, the surgeon said I think you better leave it this season you're not you're not going to be playing again this season and that's when I realized I missed the European Cup final um, I played in the League Cup final against Southampton after recovering from injury. and But again, it wasn't stable, the knee. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and then the following season, I had a year left of my contract. And then that was the second European Cup year. And I, I was with the club, just playing in reserve team football and playing whatever games I could. Didn't play in the first team. Um, and then at the end of that time, they just said, we're not renewing your contract and that you're on a free. And that's when I went to Swindon. For a year, I take it you've got at least one medal then in your cabinet for for the '79 final. Not an original. I never got an original medal, um, mm. and that was just the sore point. Um, but what Brian Clough did do, he got some replicas made from from a jeweller's in Derby, and um, I got one of those. Um, well, that was it. They never they never applied to UEFA, and never went back to UEFA. And uh, I mean, there's, there's a story which is probably the biggest disappointment in my footballing career, really. And the story at the end of the Malmo game in the dressing room, um, you know, the, the dressing room was a bit down because we didn't play the, the style of football we wanted to play, but we won the European Cup. But <laughs> it, it was crazy to think that everybody was down. And then Brian Clough said, I want all the medals on the table. Um, but the lads didn't want to do that, so he said, All those lads that, um, Played, played, keep your medals, but I want the five that didn't play. So the five subs gave their medals on, and then eventually he dished them out. You know, afterwards, um, I do know for a fact a couple of them didn't get the original ones, um, and I didn't get. You know, I didn't get a medal, and Old Millsy didn't get a medal because um, um, he played in one of the rounds, um, and he thought he was entitled to a medal, which he, he was, like like we all were. Um, but the club never chased any extra medals up. So I do know that in those days, they only ever had 16 medals. It's not like 
the rest like is mm. now where you get 47 medals in Gausman gets a medal now um in in those days they just had 16 medals and and those 16 medals were taken up by should have been taken up by the 16 players that were represented for us that day mm. um but it'd be interesting to see where the other medals went there was there was definitely a few medals went missing what kind of support do you get as an injured player back then because these days you know, you've got the PFA and massive medical technology and everything and psychological counselling. Are you, the Forest and Clough look after you or are you left to your own devices when you struggle? You're left to your own devices, really. I mean, Clough, you know, basically, he'd he, he done all he could medically for me. Um, that's what they thought. And, you know, I'd had a few operations. Um, the PFA, I never rang the PFA up. I never asked any about anything from them and I never have. Um, I rang the PFA once for advice, and and it wasn't very helpful. Um, but it's a big organisation, the PFA. It's a wealthy organisation, um, and was never in any benevolent fund in terms of um, medical insurance. I never had anything like that. I never had anything, you know, financial. So when I played, when I finished playing at 29. And my footballing career was under, you know, you like everybody else, when you lose your job, you've got to go find another job. Um, and that's what happened. Um, we were living in Swindon at the time and we made a decision that we would come back to Nottingham because that's where the good times were and we'd try and eke out livings that way. So when I came back, I worked in a pub. A local guy said, yeah, come and work in a pub. So I did that. <laughs> made snooker tables um, and... A lad called Ron Hume who made snooker tables because snooker was the craze at the time and he was making snooker tables and Ron said come and work for me um, not knowing anything about them so basically I was labouring you know cutting up wood for this, 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 the cushions of the snooker table they were then assembling them um, and I was with him for a year um, and then you know working in the pub at the same time everything to try and get some money on the table you know um, my wife was a school teacher at the time, so we had a young family. So we just scraped it together, worked as best we could. And, uh, you know, we survived, basically, as you do. Um, but you cut your cough accordingly, and we, we managed to come through it okay. Are you angry or bitter? I mean, you know, you just won the league. If I don't want to bring back to the day all the time, but if you would play one season in the Premier League, you're set for life. And here's, you know, Colin Barrett pulling pints for Forest fans, I guess. <laughs> at one point and they're making snooker tables I mean are you, are you how are you feeling inside about that I suppose you you must be a bit angry must my, my, it, it, the bottom line is my day was my day you know yeah and, and you have to accept the fact that in your day these were what was on offer um, and it was a short career you know obviously I wanted to last a bit longer than it did but um, but the issue was you knew you knew what you were getting into and um, and it was your decisions to make all these, you know, the right decisions. Um, and it was up to you then. Um, so, no, I don't regret any of it. Um, not one bit do I regret it. Um, and, and I just think it's, we've, you know, we've survived. We've come through it all right um, as a family. Um, and the finances side, you know, good luck to these guys. Now I think it's gone crazy, but good luck to them. It's not their fault. You know, if somebody wants to pay them that amount of money, um, but it is, you know, it's, it's there is a difference today, and I, I don't begrudge him, you know. 
you know, some I'd like to say, well, I wish I'd had a year now. Well, yeah, but um, you'll never forget. You never forget the memories you've had. Yeah, which kind of leads on to what I, I always ask players. I mean, would you have traded a steady career in the first division till you were like 32, 33 with, and, uh, with Forrest or whoever, or the kind of the candle that burns bright for a bit shorter like you had? And, the, you know, you've done things that so few play, people have done in, the, in, in football, haven't you? Well, it's like anything you know, I just said to you, Matt, you know, you, you've got to take it when you're there. You take anything and everything and you, you know it's only a short time. And you know you want to. You think you can go on forever. You, you do, honestly. Mm. You think you could play football forever. Um, but I would not swap buying for one bit. That five years at Forest, even in the few, you know, the four or five years I had at Man City, um, I helped them get to lead two League Cup finals. Um, and even that, I would not trade for the world. You know, mm. uh, I ended up being a painter and decorator, and the only reason I ended up painting and decorating because I was painting my house and somebody said, well, my house needs painting badly. So I said, I can do that. So uh, I painted next door neighbor's house outside and then it carried on from there. Um, but I finished painting and decorating and, you know, um, we did okay. We did all right. Did you never want to get back in maybe at non-league, a bit of coaching or anything like that? Or did football well, you not do, appeal? You, 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 do think, you do think there'll be an avenue back in somehow. Um, I did me, I did me a bit locally at amateur level with the local amateur side, got them to a county cup final. Um, but other than that, um, it's it's like any business, Matt. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Uh, yeah. And then when I'm 29 and I'm finishing in the game, I didn't know many people um, with jobs that knew me. Um, so it was difficult. And, and as I say, if, even now, if you look about all these managers, they'll always take the mates with them. They'll always take mm. the powers that be with them, you know, their friends or the people they, they can rely on. Um, and that never changes. Mm. What about um, more recently? I suppose, like we said, I believe in miracles kind of brings your achievements back to the fore, doesn't it? Is it a, a new generation of Forest fan kind of appreciate what you've done and you know, maybe walk up to you in the street every now and then and say, oh, you're Colin Barrett? Well, that happens every now and again, you know, every now and again that happens. But it, yeah, it, and they, they, they mentioned the film and obviously it's brought it to the, the forefront of everybody. But you've got to also remember that it's, it, you shouldn't forget your history. You shouldn't forget your history of football club, but you hope your football club progresses. And, and all, all the lads today, all the, the young ones today, they're more interested in the here and now. This is their football team now. What I will say is that what we achieved back then was the basis or the base the base of the fans of today. You know, the fathers or who were kids then, you know, who grew up being Forest fans then brought their children up to be Forest fans. Um, I mean, when I first came to this football club, the average gate was 12,000, you know, in the second division, and which was a good, good sized club. It was, a, you know, no problem. Even when we went into the first division, I think I wasn't up to 18, 19, 20,000. It was only once we started getting success that it was down to 30 of them, that, that thousand. And then if you said you go down into the second division as now, if you can imagine that, that time when we had it, there was 12,000 at City Ground. And the City Ground nowadays, there's 28,000, 30,000. Mm. And that's a massive difference, a huge difference. So, yes, I think what I say, what we achieved then was your history, 
be based in your fan for your fan base going forward. But all the lads are all, they they want to have their taste of success. They want to have their trip to Wembley. You know, the generation that grew up with us, they had trip after trip after trip to Wembley. And, you know, they can't, you know, they loved it. They thought it was an annual event. But it, but it never is. But what everybody wants now is to get in the Premier League. You know, I want Forrest to be in the Premier League. It is a big, but it's the hardest thing to do is get out of this championship. And uh, I just think, it's, you know, the, you know, the fans of today, they want their bit. So they're not too worried about what happened in the past. It's there. It's, you know, they all refer to the two stars on the shirt. Um, but they're, they're more interested in the, the modern day player now. Uh, Forrest, to your club then, I take it. You're still round here. You started yeah. in Man City. But do you always think of Forrest as your club now? Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, because of what it's given me, Matt. You know, um, it employed me for one. It gave me... a. An opportunity, um, and uh, I'll be forever grateful. And I mean, I, I guarantee you, Clough and Taylor never thought they would have the success they had in a million years, and not with that bunch of players that they had. They didn't even give you. They might have said, "Well, we might survive. We might get out with the skin of our teeth," but no way would they have guaranteed. You know, thought that they would uh, win win the trophies that they won. Mm-hmm. What kind of bond is there between you now? Then, because obviously, guys like Martin O'Neill have. You've got loads of media work or Whenever we work. get together, we're all like the dressing room, you know. Mm. Um, the joking starts, the fun, the Mickey taking out of each other starts, and everything, everything is like normal, if you like, like any work, normal workforce. Um, so yeah, it, it, everything's good. Everything's good, you know. Um, and obviously, Martin's done his thing in the footballing world, so he's had success that way. Um, you know, we're not. A, we don't call each other up every day, but the, one of the things is that when we all get together, we're a bond. And that bond, um, even if we don't see each other for a couple of years, it will still be there. Mm, true. Uh, a forest going up this season, is it, is, it, is it even possible? The possibility is they give themselves an opportunity now. Because if you think about it, they're only seven points, eight points off the playoffs. Right, um, and if you say to somebody you're eight points off the playoffs at Christmas, you've got to be thinking you have an opportunity. And um, the situation they've got themselves in, um, as much as we like to praise the players when they do well, the players have got to take an awful lot of responsibility for those first ten games of the season. Um, you know, if they can justify when they look in the mirror in the morning and say, "Well, I put my lot in in that time," then I would question that. Um, they've had a few good results now and hopefully the honeymoon period will carry on and then and then all of a sudden it becomes the hard work's got to start and you've then you've got to fight for every single point that comes along but they've given themselves an opportunity now that come Christmas time if they get up to four or five points behind playoffs I think they're in with a shout and then it's a case of this is the, the, you know, from, a, from a recruitment point of view um, that's the issue then what do you do then um, Forest have signed 60 players over the last three years, maybe even more, and they've not progressed. And if you, and then you've got to say to yourself, you've got to question the recruitment. And hopefully, somewhere in that football club, someone will suss this out and say, we've got to get the recruitment right this time. Mm. Where's the balance between success and failure lie then? Because you can't, like you say about players can let the manager down, the managers can make a huge difference. Recruitment all comes in. I mean, does it all have to work as one or can, or does it just come down? Well, it's, to... a, it's a combination, isn't it? It's, te- it's basically 
teamwork. The, the manager can only put the team out that he thinks he's going to win a football match. When you mm. cross a white line and you're playing for your football club, um, you've got to make sure that you're going to do the best you can to get that result. When you're on a football pitch and your mate's in trouble, you want to make the angle for that mate, you know, to, for him to give you the football, to get him out of trouble, to back him up when they're in trouble, you know, to, to be there when, you, when it's needed. And sometimes when things aren't going for you, not intentionally, you're not there. You just, you just concentrate on you, your own things and you never go that extra yard for your mate or for, you know, to stop a cross coming in, to make a tackle, to make a run, to make a, 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 an angle for a pass. And you just think, no, I'm okay here. So you play safely. But when things start to go well, which is happening in the last couple of games, all of a sudden you've got an extra spring step. You move that extra yard quicker. You make yourself available, and then it becomes easier. And and this is a this is the, the that's the difference between. I'll put it another way: at the start of the season, this the young boy Johnson, Brendan, he goes down the line again. I think it's against Middle. He puts three crosses over. Now, I guarantee you, every centre forward in the world would have said, thank you, bang, 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 they'd have got goals. Nobody was there. The boy Mighton puts a crossover against Barnsley and he drives the crossover. All of a sudden, the centre forward's there, bang, it's in the back of the net. And that's the difference. People think the difference between, well, well, I was there, I was in the vicinity, but I couldn't get to the ball on time. And the difference between I'm there and I'm going to get to the ball on time those are the, that's the split seconds that you need to success and failure. If you don't understand what I'm trying to say, um, yeah, yeah. I think I think a lot of the issues that have been going on these last seven or eight games is players are thinking they put a lot in, or thinking they make the, the you know they're doing enough. When in all honesty, they've just been lacking that little bit of urgency, that little bit of desire to get that extra step. And it's come these last couple of games because they're winning football matches. Mm. Once you start winning football matches, the world opens up. And I said to you early on, it shuts everybody up for seven days. And I still believe football is seven days old. That's all it is, seven days. Because as soon as that seven days is on, another game comes around, you win it, then everybody forgets the last seven days. Everybody's forgotten the last 10 games. And and this is now where, unfortunately, from Forest's point of view, they had that uh, international break, you just hope they come out all guns blazing against Blackpool and get the result, and then that gets the momentum going again. Mm. No, I think you're absolutely right. I'm as I'm as guilty as any fan of the seven day, yeah, the result cycle. You're not wrong there. You're not wrong there. <laughs> right. Uh, we'll leave it there. Thanks very much, uh, Colin. I really appreciate that, and hopefully people enjoyed it and give us a good rating. Um, Colin, would you? We'd be very, you'd be very welcome to come back on again and do some uh, punditry if you if you're so interested. Yeah. Well, any, just give us a call, Matt. You know where I am. You've got my phone number now. So I have. Only happy to help, mate. No problem. Excellent, excellent. Thanks very much, and we shall uh, be back after the Blackpool game. And Thank you we'll for listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode. Thanks for listening.